You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast. A safe space for Deadly Uncle Conversations. Right next up, we have Dwight Farahat. Dwight is a Métis. He lives in Calgary, and he mixes hip hop with the work that he does with youth in the community. And also, he received a Change Makers Award at the YYC Awards. It's it's amazing to see that he's getting awarded for all the hard work he does, and it's nice that he brings it through music. That's right. So stick around. Dwight's got a great story, and you're not going to want to miss it. I'm from the Siksika Nation. Uh, well, I'm registered in the Siksika Nation. My dad's from the Siksika Nation, but I'm from a community called Forest Lawn. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like to be from somewhere, you really got to know where things are. Like when I'm, uh, when I go to the res and stuff, like people are like, "Yeah, meet me over here," or like, "Meet me at the Twin Towers." I'm like, "Where are the Twin Towers?" So, like, when I say I'm from Siksika, it's kind of like I'm from Siksika, but. I, I don't know where, where you know what I mean? <laughs> I've never lived there. So, um, yeah, but I, I know where everything is in Forest Lawn. <laughs> you know what? We grew up in Forest Lawn as well. well hey, I, my guys. When I used to, like, I used to, like, obviously party and used to get wild when I was in high school and stuff. So a lot of the places that I would go and party, a lot of my friends that had parties were, in that area yeah, yeah that's that that is just the truth and i didn't grow up there but i spent my late teen to early 20 years in forest lawn partying with this guy so. yeah <laughs> yes sober now for 13 years yeah. three years three years for this man so yeah we're yeah anyways <laughs> that was a crazy time yeah <laughs> yeah so you grew up there and um you know, what style of music did you grow up with in your house? Uh, well, like my mom always listened to old timer stuff. She loved uh, like the Beatles and, and Patsy Cline and stuff like that. But I really uh, fell in love with hip hop and rap um, you know, at a quite young age. I thought I put that on. I did it on airplane mode, like you said. That's so weird. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up like listening to rap and hip hop. And actually, at first, I didn't like when I was a kid, I really didn't like hip hop. Because um, in like grade one, it's when rap kind of started to become commercialized and, and started to come to Calgary, right? Like, and so. Back then in grade one, I was like Bruce Lee, Rambo was my favorite movie, um, and, and and Guns N' Roses, and Michael Jackson. And then <laughs> there started to be kids who were listening to rap, and they started coming to school wearing their pants super low, and and um, and they're wearing their clothes backwards. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you remember that, right? Like, yeah. So I'm a grade oneer, and I'm looking up to these grade sixers, and I'm like, "Yo, like, you can't run, you can't kick, uh, like, and your clothes are back." And so I was like, "Rap sucks because you can't kick like Bruce Lee anymore. You're not bad like Michael Jackson anymore. Like, you're not tough <laughs> like Guns N' Roses. That's what I." I and so in my grade one mind, that's what I thought rap was about. But uh, later on in my life, um, uh, there's a rapper called Coolio. He just he just passed away a little while ago. But 
a song was playing called The Can of Corn. Um, and I came in the room and I'm making fun of it. I'm the younger guy, right? And I'm like, and it's like saying a can of corn, a can of corn. I tried to give full off a can of corn. And so I come in being, you know, the young guy just fooling and stuff and uh, making fun of the the song and my big brother's music and whatever. And then someone was like, yo, he's like talking about being hungry. And I was like, word. And so later on, I took that tape and I listened to it by myself and I like really listened to it for the first time. And I felt like Coolio was saying parts of our family's story. And that's when I was like, yeah, this is important. And uh, that's when I started listening to music and, and rap, like really listening. Like before I only listened to music, not for the lyrics or for the words, it was more like melody and like, can I move to it? Or how does it make me feel? Um, and then hip hop was like, how does somebody's story become a part of my story or, or make me stronger in my own struggle? So yeah, that's kind of how I fell in love with rap and rap music. Well, that's amazing because like when, when, you know, even for myself, when I first, you know, was introduced to rap, it was more about the, you know, almost the strength of community and stuff. It, it was a different style of rap than, than what it turned into uh, later on when NWA and all those things came out. So I remember the all first this, rap yeah. for me, honestly, it wasn't about community. It was about it. <laughs> 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 oh, what's a oh, two live crew? That's what hit oh, Red Deer. Oh yeah, those guys. Yeah, what hit Red Deer Boom. first? And you're, I'm like, what the is this? <laughs> I'm like, I gotta listen to more of this. <laughs> well, the first one that I was uh, exposed to was uh, Public Enemy and Run DMC, mm -hmm. and some of those songs were about strength in the community and mm -hmm. you know, uh, fight the power. You know, just always have your eyes open and. You know those type of things, and then and then of course <laughs> I got into uh, sipping gin and juice and all those things. Yeah, that 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 was uh, that was that's wild. You know when you think about it, you know you you put young testosterone, you know, and you you add um, weed, you add alcohol, um, and that mind frame that was going out at the time. And it really like influenced me to, uh, you know, kind of like, yeah, see things in a in a crazy way, you know, mm. yeah, for sure. And I remember it being like an influence on me um, to uh, do certain things when I was drunk and stuff, you know, like, yeah, that's that's crazy when I think think back about, you know, mm. how it, uh, you know, it began as something that was like a positive thing, and then I. You know, I uh, I fell into some of the gangster rap and stuff and was influenced because, you know, at the time I was dealing with major addictions and that, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way. Like, uh, I, I never really had, like, the public enemies in my life. Like, I never saw public enemy tape until I was, like, way older. Um, but there was a group called Goody Mob who really started to make me think about the world in a different way. Um, like uh, Goody Mob would talk about things like I remember there's one line like he's talking at CeeLo he's a member of the group and he's talking about like 
They claim that this community is so drug-free, but it don't look that way to me because I can see. And he's like, starts talking, explaining the things in his community, right? And then also talking about a fence being built around his community to keep, uh, to keep crime out. But then his observation was like, maybe they built this fence to keep us in. And so yeah. it, it, it is a way of thinking of like, wow, okay, like realizing like what real depression, uh, oppression is and like also like what unity can do. Um, there's another song that they may call Live at the OL, Live at the OMLI, One Million Man March or something like that. And, you know, that song was just like, in my, I remember like walking down the alley being like, changing the words, right? One million natives inside. <laughs> Even though you try, one million natives inside. And I'll be like in the freezing cold, like getting all pumped up, like, let's take this back, right? And like feeling fired up and feeling proud of like myself and connected to something bigger than myself, like through the music. That's amazing, you know? And, you know, that's what I think music really does, you know? Whether it's hip hop, uh, country, uh, blues, folk, whatever it is, you know, um, I think like when we write as artists, it's, it's a huge part of our healing. It's a huge part of who we are in that moment. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I used rap for many, many things in my life, positive and negative, you know, and, uh, you know, I'm still a fan of it. I still have a um a 12 inch sub in my uh suv <laughs> that wow. i just i'm a bass head i love he's a deadly uncle yeah. <laughs> i love the bass in my in my car it just never left me from the 90s so actually when i rolled up uh to to trent he's like oh because i came up and it was booming eh and he's like oh hey how's it going 1993 <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of an asshole sometimes. <laughs> you have to be, you have to be. But for me, hip hop was was the '90s. I didn't really listen to it past that for me, and because I don't really relate to a lot of the themes that are going on in hip hop right now. But I mean, for me, hip hop was a lot of things too. Like, if we're talking groups that inspired me, like uh, Boogie Down Productions and KRS One were my favorites back in the day when we were younger, listening. But yeah. They definitely had an influence on my my mindset, though. You're right. Yeah. Even yeah. though I was from Red Deer, I was hard. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, no, it was, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. And so I, I really like the fact, you know, that you've taken, you know, the initiative with this art form that you've built around yourself and, and you must have connections to your childhood through storytelling, through all those things. And you actually work with, uh, with youth, with this, uh, with this music. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I, I'm the founder and CEO of the tribe artist society. And, you know, like I've been doing youth work and, and social work type stuff since like 2009 um, and I would always be like running hip hop groups for, for other agencies and stuff like that. And, and what I found is when I would leave those agencies, those groups would kind of fail or not fail. They would just fade away. slowly, Right. And then I realized like, um, that, you know, when you start a program 
with youth, he actually started family. And, and usually, like if you're working with high school kids or whatever, it's usually for that program is going to be a three, four year commitment um, for that specific group. And, and so, yeah, I just like, uh, I, I teach rap and I teach songwriting inside CYOC, Calvary Young Offender Center, in schools. And then we run our, our weekly community program. And a lot of it started out like, you know, through my job, like teaching rap and stuff. And then I was also doing some volunteering and I was volunteering in the Young Offender Center. And, you know, the sessions just like went really good. And I asked the guys, like, what do you guys need right now? what do you want me to try to make happen? And the guys were like, we want you to come here once a week and cypher with us. And we want you to make a program in the outside for when we get out so that we can belong to something. And I was like, bet. So I was done uh, and I was like, started writing personal grants and I got a personal grant to do that for a year and I did it. Uh, and I realized there just to be sustainable, I had to open up a charity. Um, so, mm -hmm. Yeah, we're about a year, just over a year old as an official charity. Uh, and that's a whole nother learning curve. Like it was so much simpler when it was just an artist. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a big thing. I just, I love teaching rap and because I love the music. And, and most of all, I love what it does for people. Um, that's amazing, brother. Yeah. Really amazing work, you know. And, you know, to, to put, you know, it's so important what you're doing, working with our, our young ones that are, you know, in that lost place there. But at that time, and even, even if they go to the pen, we never forgive, we never forget our brothers. We never give up on our brothers, you know, and our, you know, so that's, that's amazing that you're doing that. And hopefully that positive influence through rap and through writing uh, can take away some of those, uh, you know, those pains and those, those memories of why, you know, they're, they're, they're falling into addictions or why we all fall into, fall into addictions as, as males, as men. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's amazing that, uh, you know, you're, you're giving something to our, to our males and, you know, it, it's so important, you know, because we feel like there's a lack of programming and there's a lack of, you know, uh, looking at men's health and, and, and mental health and creating those spaces for us to be able to, you know, express ourselves. And that's why we created this, uh, this podcast, you know, was to, you know, invite people like yourself that are doing things like this. Cause a lot of people, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, you're very humble in what you do as well, you know, so a lot of people will tune into this and find out who you are and 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 figure out that this is possible in their community as well well right? big time big time and that's the thing like with hip-hop and rap it's like it, it, it like programs what i found at least for city kids like me programs were the societies that i could belong to and join and the thing about hip-hop is is it it, it, it it's kind of male dominated dominated like our groups are open to everybody, but it is very male heavy. Um, but it's a warrior society that you can belong to where it's cool. It's badass, uh, It's fun. And, you know, we're not just teaching like uh, how to write songs and how to rap or how to be the, you know, the coolest guy. We're actually teaching like 
confidence, uh, how to play again, uh, how to be free, how to be sure with yourself, how to fumble in front of people and still be okay. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, like that's we used to have like as youth workers and. Uh, I, I really say, like, when you're a youth worker or a social worker, we start to become the, the aunties and the uncles of the community. Um, yeah. and, and we're the society leaders of the community, even though we don't say that as, like, youth workers. But if, but without that, you know, kids want to belong to something. When I was a kid, like, I wanted to belong to something and, you know, you know, little kid gangs and stuff like that we'd always be part of. And, like, and, and but the thing is, we is we didn't have the uncles in that gang society to lead us, and so we just end up just being like a bunch of kids doing crazy stuff, right? Um, yeah. And so, like, you know, when you go do a show, it's the same feeling as uh, that you get the same thrill you get from like doing a B and E or or stealing a car or, or robbing somebody. Because like you got to make a plan, you got to organize. You're doing something dangerous with your friends, and, and you have a mission that you need to finish and accomplish. And if you don't, there's serious consequences. Yeah. So you feel important, right? And same with with it's the exact same thoughts and process. Whether you're doing a show or you're doing crime, or even if you're like a cop, you're doing it's the same thing. Same feelings, emotions, and process. You're just on the other end, right? Um, and, and, and when you go through those hard things, those challenging things, your group becomes tighter and, and you gain um, like a self-belief in yourself that you can do something hard and something important, something risky. And when you do something hard and risky, you become important, you know? Yeah, for sure. So Dwight, you said before this, you said that um, you had worked in the social work area, moving into youth work and things like that. What drove, like what, moved you into that area to begin with because you didn't start teaching hip-hop you went into social work to help kids and what was that reason what what in your life kind of guided you to go into that that kind of helper position in the community yeah um i lived in like a pretty tough home as a kid uh like it was good but then you know bad things would happen every now and then um but uh i ended up moving into a group home I think when I was 16 or 15, I got in a really bad car accident uh, a little bit before that, about a year before that, in high-speed chase with the cops. Mm-hmm. I had a stolen car, and um, you know I broke my back, both uh, of my feet. I smashed both of my face in. This part of my jaw came off, and I pushed it back up. I was wrecked. Um, and so like I was going through this recovery, and then I started going through all these legal things, and it just turned out I couldn't live at home anymore. And so I moved into a group home, uh, Nikanan group home. And oh wow! Just one second, Nikanan group home. Do you know Kirby Redwood? I do. Yeah, that's yeah. my first cousin. No way! Yeah. That's great. <laughs> okay, keep uh, on with your story. Sorry. Yeah, and I moved into the group home, and is the native-run group home. And there was a bunch of native guys who worked there. So like Kirby Redwood. Uh, Adrian, uh, Goulet, Reg Nipponak, like all these NATO guys with long hair. And, you know, and there was something like about them that I actually saw for the first time. It's not like, like there wasn't positive native men around me before, but I never saw them. Mm -hmm. When I moved into the group home, I really saw them. And 
And, you know, they started to change the definition of like what I thought an Indian is and was, you know, the definition of Indian started to become like somebody who's happy, somebody who makes me feel safe, someone who takes me to ceremony, someone who cares about me, someone who actually cares about my unborn kids. Um, and, you know, like Kirby Redwood and all them made such a huge impact on me. Like when I was in the group home, I was like, this is what I want to do when I'm, when I'm older and and you know it started to change the picture of who i thought i was because before then i would always say like i'm gonna die at 15. um you know like i i can't change like who i am and i was given like really negative beliefs about me because of my dna when i was very young and i accepted them and uh that shaped the picture of me just growing up not like dying at 15. and so i started to take those steps when you have a picture of who you are you start walking towards it no matter you know what the picture is or you don't. And my picture was like, I'm going to die before I'm 15. And, uh, I'm hopeless. And, you know, two days before my 15th birthday, I got in that car accident. And uh, then I moved into the group home and I saw these guys. And the picture of who I thought I was and who I wanted to be changed. Like, That's awesome. Up, like Indian changed into some, from something bad to something powerful. Awesome. That's amazing. Such a small world that I, you know, that connection. That's cool. Wow. <laughs> because I know Kirby and I know he grew up how he grew up too. And so he had to heal a lot before he got to there to help you. So like his healing journey lent to your healing journey. Hell yeah. Connection, you know, like that's, that's what we need more of in our community. You know, like it's exactly what, uh, and Kirby is also going to be a guest on the show here. Um, and it's exactly what it is supposed to be. You know, our, our older men are supposed to inspire our younger men. You know, I, I had uh, Daryl Jr. on here last night, and he was talking about, uh, you know, how he his hair, he was inspired by the older guys on the dance floor, mm. you know, to grow his hair as a young boy. You know, so he told his mom when he was in grade three, I'm going to be growing my hair now, mom. I want that long hair like uh, <laughs> like the other dancers, you know. Yeah. And now he's the one inspiring the young ones to grow their hair, yeah. you know. And that's exactly what the medicine wheel teaches is when the older ones are getting ready to pass away. They sit with the with the young ones because they want those teachings to move on. They want those teachings to move on through the younger generation, those ceremonies and those ways of being, you know. And even me, I'm just finding out like so many different things like through through uh, doing my film, you know, about even what my true name is, you know, like and, uh, it's just, yeah, it's 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 amazing, you know. The elders say we could live five lifetimes and not know the full ceremony and culture of, of the indigenous people, you know? So it's just amazing, you know? It's amazing what you're doing, honestly. I'm, uh, you know, and, and so tell me tell me about the Changemakers Award as well. Yeah, so, and what is that? And yeah. what did you win it for? Because I'm not yeah. from your area, so I'm not really familiar with the, the Changemakers Award. So, Changemakers Award, uh, it was, it's through the um, USA or the Aboriginal Society. What is it? Urban Society for Aboriginal Youth. Yes. And it was the first year they're doing this Changemaker Award. 
And I believe, like, I kind of just got an email and they're like, hey, you've been nominated. And I was like, wow, great. Uh, that's wonderful. And I guess what they were doing is they were making a magazine with youth in the community or they were doing a project with youth. And the youth were like, hey, we want to do the magazine, uh, the USA magazine or New Tribe magazine on Changemakers. And then the facilitators were like, cool, who do you think Changemakers are? And the youth reached out to the community and started asking other youth who who's a change maker who's impacted your life and and um yeah one of the youth or somebody nominated me they didn't tell me who and I think <laughs> it's, it's awesome. really cool yeah and um you know i've really like, i've been doing youth work and working with the like working with our people and, and, and other youth in the community since 2009. And, you know, I've had a lot of hardship. Um, like, you know, a lot of youth pass away from all sorts of terrible things. And, you know, we lost three this summer even, like, you know, and, and to receive this, like, my heart's really heavy a lot, you know, and it just it means a lot to be thought of and be recognized and, and nominated by youth uh, because sometimes you can just be like, oh, why do I do this underpaid job just to get my heart broken all the time? And like, I know why, because it's like, you know, I'm working with these kids and, you know, when I work with the kids, it's like, I'm working with me. I'm working with the 14 year old me. I'm working with my nieces, my nephews, you know, and, uh, and they're important and they're special, you know, and that's how I really feel when I work with youth and young people. You know, I'm shifting more to working with artists now, like uh, older artists, 18 kind of and up, to be honest. Um, and because I'm finding there's a big, huge gap um, where, you know, a lot of people who want to come to our programs, they're like, I'm fresh out of treatment, I'm 23. I'm from Edmonton. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know anybody here. I want to belong to something. I think a lot of artists, especially at a young age, when they're coming into the music industry, need an uncle of some kind to give them a little bit of guidance because there's a lot of ways you can steer yourself in the wrong direction. There's lots of predators, financial predators in the music business. Like, there's all kinds of things that if you're not prepared for it, that's why so many people quit so quickly because they don't have those people to help them, you know, guide through those shark waters of music. Right. Yeah. That's for real. And like hip hop, we have special needs too. Like we need not special needs, but like there aren't any places for us to exist. And so I'm really working on making a center. That's like my dream um, a place where we can be loud. Um, cause so many times I've run programs at different places like, yeah, we're youth friendly, blah, blah. Yeah. We want this happening here. And you're like, cool. And then you show up with, you know, 15 kids, 15 native hip hopper kids who look gangster or whatever. And we start being loud and laughing and having a good time. And they're like, Oh, that's what being youth friendly means. That's what, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. we thought you guys would be a little quieter. Aren't you doing well, yeah, yeah. here? <laughs> A little more quiet, please. Yeah. And so hip-hop, we need a home, and I'm going to make that home. Good. You know, That's amazing. Right on. Where yeah. we can smudge, where we can be loud, you know, where you're greeted by, like, people, you know, who belong to the hip-hop community. 
you know and like even if we have to have a security guard it's going to be a hip hopper you know what i mean yeah like yeah and so it's a different vibe and i feel like uh like that's missing in calgary um and i would like I think it's missing in a lot of places, you know, like mm-hmm. an after program for treatment and also CYOC or all those things. Yeah. Like some federal people, prisoners yeah. have nowhere to go. Like, like when they come some, out, like, some for like them to belong to, like you said, you know, or else they're going to be looking for trouble or, you know, find themselves in trouble. Like yeah. a lot of, you know, I'm sure a lot of youth, you know, they look forward to that night for the whole week, you know? So yeah. really, that's amazing. Yeah. It, and honestly, like that's really what we're doing is like what I'm trying to build here. What I'm trying to do is just is pass on that same feeling that I got from Kirby and those guys. You know, like I often ask myself, like, like, I don't really talk with Kirby much anymore, but I'm like, in my mind, like I talk with Kirby a lot. I'm like, yo, what would you do in this situation? <laughs> what would Kirby do? How would I lead? Uh, because he's somebody who I look up to a lot, right? And yeah. yeah, and to have those those people around and 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 being able to reach out as well for like help developing a charity or with questions like Kirby and them have been very open to my phone calls and my help. And same with Leanne from Usay, and like right now, like doing this charity and trying to make it like actually last for a long time. I've just been feeling like a kid for the last two years bumping into walls you know trying to do things that should be easy and takes me four days and then like (laughs) just keep grinding man because it's worthwhile and you know that's what it takes is hard work and people that really believe in something to make it work right because nobody's going to give it to you nobody's going to create those spaces for you and if you don't do it nobody else probably will until somebody else gets as inspired right so it's important it's important what you're doing so that's awesome yeah so i just uh you know one of one of the things that we're asking um all the artists is what is your uh what is your plans what's your 10-year plan uh you know i know you mentioned the building tell us a little bit more about that is is it gonna be a building that's uh for all creative youth all crew like film all kinds of things or is it gonna be more more towards music and stuff you know like I've been, that's why I have my goals on the board because my 10 year plan shifts so much. <laughs> yeah. My three goals for this year uh, were um, hire a second awesome staff. I actually ended up hiring two staff. So now our whole agency is three people uh, and get a sweet space where we can be loud. Um, so that's my two goals for this year. Um, and, 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 you know, the way I see this space is, and the, I see our agency kind of growing. In the future, of course, we're still going to always be running youth programs for young people. But I think a major component that we're going to be doing and moving towards is really walking and mentoring that that older crowd uh, for a long time. Because what happens is they're in foster care or whatever, and they're with these programs, and then they turn 18, and they're like, yeah, you can come until you're 30, but it's just weird. You know what yeah. I mean? And, 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 and so, you know, having that, that, that age group it's, it's super underserviced and, and you know these guys these guys girls humans are they're getting lonely you know and they need something to belong to and and i i really want the center to like have a, a recording studio and i really want everybody to be able to have their own space so if i could be like hey 
if someone's like, I'm, I'm looking to write an album um, and I just need a place to like work on this project. It's like, okay, cool. Here's your office for three months. Leave your stuff here. You could be loud. Uh, oh, I'm working on a painting or whatever. And so I eventually imagine having like videographers, uh, their visual artists and music people, like anything you kind of need for music and a lawyer or a counselor or a financial advisor, like just all of those things that like a record label would, would have, but for the community and along with cultural, you know, like with our cultural stuff and, and with people you can really talk to, like not people who are there to, for you, for you to make money so we can make money off you. No, just people who want you to succeed and we can help you. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing for sure. You know, speaking about a center, uh, I just got, you know, another question for you here. Um, is there any centers that you know of uh, in, in, in Calgary uh, for indigenous people or youth or, uh, you know, anybody to have sweats or, you know, a safe place to pray uh, within inside the city limits of Calgary, uh, I'm talking. Um, do you know of any place like that? Yeah, I think Hall, Hall Services, they used to have uh, open community sweat, I think, once a week with Casey Eagle Speaker. Yeah. I, I don't know if they still do it or not. And that's the only one I know of that's in the city. But also Kirby, Miskanawa, they do public sweats quite often. And they sometimes give rides. Yeah. Well, that's like on the outside of the city for, for some people who can't make it, they give rides, eh? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, amazing. It, one of the one of the things that we wanna see is an actual center uh that's yeah. built for indigenous people, almost like how you know non-indigenous people have a place to pray. We wanna see a place for us, a safe place that's actually a stable building that stays there for more than a couple of years till the funding runs out or whatever they're doing like a church, you know, something that's really solid where we can have sweats in the summer, where we can have praying in the winter. It's a safe place within the city limits. So people don't have to get rides out, you know, out into the land. It's more for, for the inner city people. Um, I think every major city in Canada or in actually Turtle Island in North America should have this. Heck yeah. And, and like, that would be nice to even just see bylaws be passed to where you can have a lodge in your backyard. You yeah. know, like, because there's over five or 600 churches in Calgary and there's, there isn't a place, you know, <laughs> that's uh, exactly what I was saying. Yeah. You yeah. Know. And, and that's, that's a huge need. And, and, and just having that piece of land to do that, right? Like, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, like, you know, we've seen, like, uh, the Friendship Center in Calgary, how many different times they've had to move because of funding issues and all different types of things. We need a place that's solid, just yeah. like a church that's been there for 50, 60, 100 years that's something that we need in it and it shouldn't have to deal with funding it should just be built yeah. and it should just have uh you know have something like that you know and just gave him like you know what i mean that, you should that start is, go fund me for that no yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have heard of a that there's something about an indigenous center they're trying to build and that's a big 
part of it. But I imagine that what will happen with that center is eventually it will just get serviced out. And so it'll be like, that's where you can access food bank. That's where you can access housing. It'll become like the source. Yeah, um, yeah it'll be like the central agency. Yeah, yeah. Instead we of, need a place like, I don't know if you've ever seen the inside of uh, Palm Makers here. Um, but uh, pawn makers, I should say, here in uh, in in Edmonton area, but it's got a beautiful space on the inside, like a beautiful big dome with all the uh, the wow. buffalo hides and everything, and the and the medicines in the middle, and yeah, it's just it's 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 absolutely amazing. You know, I would love to see that, but not have to be in a treatment center. To be yeah. able to use those accesses, you know. I have seen something like that in the city, but it's not accessible to the public. The government of Canada in Indigenous Service Canada office have a ceremony room where they bring people in and they smudge and they an elder talks and whatever, but it's not really open to the public. It's for their their employees or people coming to meet their employees or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. And you know, like it's kind of crazy because when I was a kid. I'm not a kid, but I was like 18 or 19. This was a long time ago. I don't know if they still do it, but I traveled to Winnipeg and Regina. I was cruising with this medicine man, <laughs> cruised around for like two months. But we ended up going from ceremony to ceremony. And I remember being in the middle of like Winnipeg. I'm pretty sure it was Winnipeg or Regina. We were in a school field doing all night ceremony. And, and I don't know how they got permission or if they just did it and said, we don't need your permission. Um, but that was something really neat. And, and what was really cool about those ceremonies is that, like, the gang problems were, like, I don't know if they're still bad there. I still think they are, probably. But, like, they are pretty harsh. It was very, you could see it. Um, and, you know, at those lodges, those all-night lodges, you would have guys from different gangs who came together for ceremony. And there was no problems. And, uh, you know, and they were, like, you know, they started like leaving their gangs and started becoming a part of, of this lodge that would happen in the in the city, and they would go to each other's houses and 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 like travel with them and, and, and sing songs and go to different houses and it just like so native. It was almost like they didn't. I don't know how they got permission, but it's almost like they just said we don't care. We're doing yeah, it. <laughs> that's pretty amazing, yeah. you know, like for real. And I think maybe that's what needs to be done. Yeah, but it's, it's not surprising either because the government made us keep our ceremonies hidden for so long that that's something we would probably be used to, right? Like right. you do it in private, you know, you don't, and you don't care anymore. Like, yeah, you. well, see, that's the mentality. I think that we have to change as indigenous people is thinking that we have to be out on the land. No, we need a space in every major city to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. A safe space that's protected, the outside, the inside. And, uh, you know, I really hope to see that, you know, happen one day, you know, for for all of us, you know, for sure. Yeah. And, and something, and land that we own, like, like native owning land is, it, it's such a foreign concept to these big agencies. And like, you know, even like, uh, like charities, big giant native charities like like Miskanawa. When you talk to Kirby, like like how much are they paying rent a year? Right? It, it's yeah. like they don't own their building, which is you know it probably costs be cheaper to own it. Or how many times have they moved move move lodges like the Friendship Center? Why don't they have a piece of land that's just yeah ceremony? Like 
Um, and, I, and I know there's like charity law that kind of restricts and makes it very challenging to buy property. But like, if we're talking about real reconciliation and truth, just like, where's the plot of land? Why yeah. can't why can't they give us a plot of land that's held in trust? Like all the land that's all the all the crown land in Canada is held in trust for yeah. the indigenous people by the crown. You know, why do we have to buy land? That's with, my question, with, right? Like, with all <laughs> with all the respect in the world, yeah. you know, in this statement that I'll make here, um I w- I would much have a a safe space to to pray uh rather than an apology. And all the money that they spent, uh, the hundreds of millions of dollars that they spent for an apology would have been nice to put towards building these spaces across North America. To help people heal, you know, because that's what's really needed. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing with a lot of the calls to action is they're kind of seem to be completing a lot of the ones that are, uh, you know, like showboaty-ish, but not like. Like, have, have they raised the funding per capita on reserve for K-12 education to the legal limit? I don't think so. No. Right? No. Like, <laughs> you know, like, sorry doesn't mean anything. No. You know? and, no. I, and I think there's, there's, a, there's a reason why they say, like, they like this stereotype is, is, oh, you guys get your education paid for and this and that. And, like. Like, sure, some of us get to win our university paid for, but they never highlight K-12 is funded at an illegal limit. And and so, like, who cares if university is paid for if you're not if you're not able to get people past grade seven? If you don't have a level playing field of education as non-Indigenous kids, right? And then in some of our communities, you know, they like I said, they spent these hundreds of millions of dollars on this apology. But what about the communities that don't even have clean water yet? Mm-hmm. There's many communities. They still have to boil their water, you know? And so, you know, I, I just, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it, it's, you know, reconciliation, you know, it's, we're still, we're still in the beginning of telling the truth. I think we're still, you know, until all those graves are found until, you know, the, the true truth has really come out about uh, the Canadian history and Indigenous people. I think then then we can start to work, work towards some sort of reconciliation. And, you know, it should start off with a safe space for us, a church for us, something that where Indigenous people belong, you know, to be able to practice their ceremonies and, and who we are within our city limits, not out in the bush. Yeah, and I think that like uh, a byproduct of that would be stronger families, and 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 I think that that one of the most important things in our communities, and 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 the biggest act of resistance that we can have is being a healthy, happy family. You know, healthy in, in your heart, in your body, in your finances. The biggest act of you know, because we we have these conversations and we, and, and we see the news and we get like, we physically get stressed out and that stress poisons us, you know? Yeah. It poisons our bodies and our spirits and our minds. And, and, and I think anything that is going to allow us to be stronger um, as a community, um, sometimes I feel like those important things have been blocked. And I, and, and sometimes I wonder 
when those when it's time for those things to be unblocked, is that when all of the land is fully solidified in Canada's name legally? Um, because it's like if we can keep your population uneducated and broken families, then it's it, it's harder to uh, unite and take legal action, right? Like there's a reason why it was illegal for us to have lawyers up until like not even long ago, right? Um, that's because they wanted to make laws and uh, and and take care of our, our, or take the land from us, right? And take like right now, it's still illegal for Indians to to control our own money. Um, so that's why we have Indian Affairs and Northern Development, or whatever it's called now. And whatever Indian Affairs has been called, it's always been tied to the land. It's been Indian Affairs and mining, Indian Affairs and uh, natural resources. In it, like it, it's because. Native people legally own the natural resources on the land according to their laws, but they put in a law where we're not allowed to control that. And so, if you keep the education, if you keep the population uneducated and, and, and hurting, then they can't mobilize and, and, and enforce the actual law and entitlement. You know what I'm saying? It's bonkers. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. It's, it is just, you know, the reason why we even started this men's uh, podcast was to have these conversations, you know, to be able to have a space to where we can start the narrative as, you know, as and follow suit in our women's healing, you know, mm-hmm. with, yeah. them getting, with them getting into circles and uh, beating circles, talking stick circles, ribbon skirt making circles. And, you know, we have to follow suit in that healing and, you know, to have a space like this. And we were talking to our good buddy Garth also, who works with uh, Bent, Bent Arrow uh, and he, uh, you know, he runs two men's group uh, that's online a week, you know, and I had no idea, you know, and he has men that uh, join from all over the place through Zoom. And he said a lot of times men will join easily, more easy through Zoom, especially older men, uh, because they don't really feel comfortable going into those spaces yet. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's just finding those different ways of, how do we bring to how do we bring people together? Just like a lot of people, when they watch this, they're gonna get a chance to know who you are and what you do, you know. And hopefully, maybe somebody will watch this and say, "Well, my son needs a place to go, mm-hmm. you know. My, my my daughter needs somewhere to go, you know. After schools, there's 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 got to be a positive program. And so, you know, you throwing on these things is just it really fills a gap that needs to be filled you know i I truly believe that and i don't know if i missed this but is there do you have a weekly thing happening at a place right now in calgary yeah monday rap nights at arts commons from five to seven age uh 18 to 26. and how do people register for it um they just uh there's not really registration usually people just dm me on instagram at tribe artist society Okay. Uh, Tribe Artist Society. Tribe Artist Society, okay. And I just have one follow-up question. How come you don't have a rap night for 48-year-olds? <laughs> we are open to that. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry, I, did. I had to lighten the mood here a little bit. <laughs> We're totally open to that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, that's awesome. well this is this is cool to talk to you man and meeting you and you know yeah everything about the conversation was good it was it was cool connecting you to my cousin and yeah connecting you to all this great healing in the community so that's awesome yeah no it's uh, you know i've known dwight for a long time and we've performed in in a few different spots together and uh you know, jube school, all those different things. And so we've always put in that work. And, you know, it's I, I, I always wondered how, you know, it, it, it would be difficult to, you know, teach rap in a positive way with how I've dealt with it. But you've done a wonderful job. And I, I think it's just amazing that you've you've brought the positivity back to hip hop, you know, in your own way, you know, and I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, and I believe that's why you, you got that Change Makers Award too as well. You know, it's because you're you're filling that gap, you know, with, with something that's current with the kids right now. You know what I mean? Which is cool. TikTok, all those things, you know. So, yeah, that's really amazing, man. And, and good job. And we thank you for being on our uh, uh, The Deadly Uncles podcast and uh yeah <laughs> and dwight farahad is definitely a deadly uncle hey thank you brother i'm gonna end everyone now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i love it it's so great you know thanks so much for having me i really appreciate you guys and keep doing what you're doing awesome have a good day brother okay, i'm gonna stop hi hi <laughs> You're listening to the Deadly Uncle Podcast, a safe space for Deadly Uncle conversations. <laughs>